0: Hello and welcome. This is episode three of Witches on the Couch. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki, and I am a witch.
1: Hi, I'm Jade, your other host, and I am also a witch.
0: So this week, uh, we took a couple weeks off of recording because life is busy, but you guys won't know that because I'll probably just post it all together. But this week, we're going to keep rolling and go on with episode three of Motherland Fort Salem. This episode is titled A Biddy's Life, and I think we're just going to have to jump into it because we'll, we'll need a bit of time for this hot mess of an episode.
1: Yeah. Well, let's just jive right in. How about it? I, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> So we'll open up, you know, at the beginning of the episode, you see the crones, which actually, three-fourths of the way through the episode, we find out they're officially called biddies. hence the title of Biddy's Life. Focus on the crones this time. Um, they're getting ready in their own barracks for the day. One of them has, like, chest pains, I assume. Yeah, she just looks uncomfortable and is, like, massaging her hands like she
0: has arthritis or something.
1: That, too. And she puts her hand to her chest at one point, and then she looks out the window, and she picks up a picture of a young lady. And then, like, you can tell she's uncomfortable again. But then they all form up in their lines, and General Alder, you know, swoops them out to go on their day, so.
0: I'm already gonna interrupt this, just because (laughs) I, I was watching this, and I was like, it is so upsetting that these seven old women, who not only have this horrible nickname as biddies, but like, also have to live in this really tiny dorm together, where like the most privacy they have is maybe one of those half walls that you get in like cubicles in very stale yeah, offices. It's like
1: four feet tall at the most, cinder blocks.
0: I, I was looking at this, I was like... What? Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who was like, yes, I want to live here as an old woman.
1: Right. And, I mean, it's such an esteemed position, and yet that's what they get.
0: But it looks like it sucks.
1: Yeah, it looks worse. I mean, it feels worse than what the new cadets get, so what the hell's up with that?
0: Yeah, the new cadets are three a room. They are seven a room. It's that's as bad as my freshman year dorm experience where there were eight of us, but that's for another day.
1: Which can be fine sometimes, but not when you have it like prison esque, half wall, shit bed. It did. Pardon look- all the language in this episode. <laughs>
0: oh, it looked totally orange as the new black. It looked straight out of a set from that. It was, it was sad. I it opened, I was like, oh, we're just we're just making me sad. That's fun. For just these tiny, hey, dramatic old ladies.
1: Right. It sets a great tone for the whole episode. <laughs> episode so episode I just fun. feel like it ends up working out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh full disclosure for those who listen to our other two episodes, we usually try to take this low-key seriously, but this episode I think was so such a thing that I think we're I think we're a little more critical and a little more off the rails this episode I I got a nice big drink for the recording I wish I had had Um. more of a drink to watch it (laughs) it it was it was a lot so yeah we meet all the biddies but I like calling them crones I'm I'm gonna stick with our crones vocab I think it sounds better So we meet all the crones, and they all walk outside in their weird line out of their prison-esque barracks. And outside, there's a bus arriving, and this is where we get to meet a new kind of semi-side character, main character, who is the witch father, and then some boy witches.
1: (laughs) because They exist.
0: They exist. I
1: was
0: kind of shocked by that what they do no idea because it doesn't we never
1: see them do magic <laughs> they're not in the military i mean we kind of get to this later on in the episode and i'm pretty sure it's way more in the next episode too but, to but hint what, at it. what we'll are they to going to
0: school for like what is this other where are they where is this bus coming from
1: right that's a good question
0: Because they don't report to Fort Salem, unlike the treaty that we always quote at the beginning of the episode says, where anyone deemed a witch should report to Fort Salem. They don't. They're somewhere else in this weird white uniform school with this guy who is low-key attractive. Like, the witch father is a relatively attractive man. I will give him that.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: So we meet all these boys, all these witch boys, who get off the bus, and this is where we also find out that apparently the entire Fort Salem is just so horny, (laughs) because it is just cheers and whoops, and they just, they go on like this for minutes. It's not just a, yay, they're here. It's a continual stream of praise. Low-key, maybe, like, sexual, what's the word? Like. Not, it's not assault or anything. It's harassment. It's harassment. Maybe. <laughs> that all happens, and this is also when we get to meet Garrett Buttonwood, who just has the worst name. <laughs> uh, he's just the worst name. He's a childhood friend of Abigail and apparently also comes from a very... Reputable witch family. She says she's known him for years. And him and Tally share an eye moment.
1: Ooh. Like
0: the biggest trope, I would say, (laughs) of teen genre shows which we haven't gotten so much of in the show but this this episode they trotted them all out it's the whole oh we're best friends who is your friend and then like everything goes silent as they just look at each other for an uncomfortable amount of time it's it was a lot for an introduction of this boy
1: well, I think they got to make it awkward cuz Tally's a virgin, so she must be awkward with guys and blah blah blah.
0: I, it makes a That's bit more I sense felt. for Tally. It makes little sense for him. Well, yeah. So, we meet all these boys and it's just a it's just a thing that occurs and apparently they're staying at the school for Beltane which i think jade you can go into this
1: yeah well so we're going to go into beltane a little bit more in the next episode spoilers but uh, beltane is a celtic i believe originally Um, celebration now sort of wiccan associated but still Uh, you're supposed to celebrate it i believe halfway between the spring equinox and midsummer. So typically that's May 1st, but it's a celebration of like renewal and protection and life and babies and sex, and all that wonderful stuff.
0: It's actually, I actually really like Beltane. I think it's a good holiday. I do celebrate it. It's, it's similar to the watered-down version is May Day because it's usually May 1st. So it's like the whole Maypole and everything. Not May Day, like we're in a crisis, just May <laughs> Day. <laughs> May <laughs> Sorry, French yeah. on that one. I do like Beltane. I do celebrate it. I do some altar work for it. And then usually that's where I also start planting my garden or planning my garden, depending on the frosts of that year. It's Yeah, it's just kind of a spring holiday. I think because where I live, you used to live, uh, spring equinox doesn't really fall when all the frosts are gone. It's still kind of main frost danger zone. I kind of use Beltane as a bit more of my growing period pagan holiday, but it's good. It's a nice holiday. I don't know if you celebrate um, it, but...
1: um, uh, Kind of. I'm more of a, a midsummer type. But, uh, this year I totally did not because shit was hitting the fan, so it just totally slipped my mind to do anything for it. I think I posted an
0: alter picture of it to Instagram this year. I don't know. Maybe. I feel like you did. I feel like I did too. I I tried to do that from time to time. I will probably start posting those kind of things on our instagram once i get that all up and going because i just need to basically confirm the account for this podcast go follow us for this podcast Ooh. so smooth didn't even didn't even see that one coming but yes
1: we're we're celebrating beltane in this episode not yet it's just coming yes in like 3 or 4 days as they say for this episode but still and, you know, actually, while we're here, because they start introing Beltane, I'm going to intro another one of the specific male witches. His name is Porter. I don't know if that another part of his name was introduced. If so, I missed it. Just goes by Porter. Um, (laughs) He, if they, like, tried to be stereotypical, brooding, angsty bad boy but he's like blonde haired and blue eyed and it just looks like he's constipated <laughs> <laughs> So, and he just stands in the shadows and harasses Rael because he used to know Scylla from their draft dodging days and now that Scylla signed up she's the worst person he
0: totally and, signed up too though so right I don't also know. like I, again, this brings me back to the weird, I don't understand what the boys are doing, because it seems like boy draft dodging is very different from the female draft dodging, because the females are all going to direct combat, or at least fighting in wars. But we don't see any of the men or guys do that. Like It's specifically said they're not in the fighting, because they call each other sisters in fights. So what was he dodging this draft of? What are the guys doing? that you feel the need to dodge this draft.
1: I mean, I feel like they have their own sort of support units because it seems like even in this episode, they're totally being built up as, like, groomed for just pure support of the women. And that stupid, I knew, I should have known, this was going to bite me in the ass from the first episode, sexual magic, (laughs) all that baloney, it's exactly what they're, like, there for.
0: It, it completely comes back in this episode. We're right back in the sex magic train. Right?
1: I rolled my eyes so hard multiple times at this, and I was dreading the time we actually sat down to record because I just... <sighs> I I was
0: watching the episode last night, and I told you earlier, but I watched it really late at night. It was, like, 11.30, maybe midnight, when I sat down to watch it because I was watching something else, and I got busy. <laughs> I so badly wanted to go to bed, and I was like, I'm so upset I have to stay awake to watch this. Like, this dumpster fire is why I'm awake right now. (laughs) And it was so upsetting. But getting off of those problems, I was also (laughs) laughing at your introduction, because I never even wrote down Porter's name.
1: Oh, I know. I I didn't know who you were talking about, like, because... Spoilers. Also, we have, you know, general outlines so we can kind of try to keep ourselves on track because when we converse, we definitely can go way off track. And so I didn't realize who she was speaking with until like the very end of our outline because there's a very specific action that only involves him and one other person. Yeah, in my notes. But she used the same descriptor.
0: In my notes, I kept calling him weird blonde guy who can't act. I I stand by the description. I'm I'm sorry to this actor. I'm sure he's a lovely person, unless he's like racist or something, in which case, you know, he gets all the shade we're throwing. But man, this guy just, it seems like he was denied from being in Vampire Diaries. And they were like, well, come over here, I guess. That's the vibe of acting we are getting from this guy. Yeah, so we meet this guy. We're never going to get through this episode because we just keep critiquing this episode.
1: Nope, let's just skip over it, get to the training.
0: How about that? Buckle down. (laughs) We're done with meeting this guy and we're done with Beltane. They go to training. This was a part of the episode I actually liked, which is shocking because there were like three pieces of this episode I actually liked. This was part number one. Is that they're starting kind of a vision scrying training which is kind of the training i believe we kind of called out in our last episode as would be most important for the knowers of the military
1: mm-hmm.
0: so what they've done is they've set up all these kind of barrel drums and obstacles and they have put colored flags behind them all and then all the cadets are lined up and they have little scrying kind of mirrors in their hands and they're all supposed to hit a specific sub-vocal note, look into the mirror, and be able to tell which color flag is behind all these obstacles. This was really cool, and this was actually very real to life to scrying with like the whole scrying mirror and the whole focus and kind of cloudiness and then seeing shapes and colors. I really liked how this was portrayed and filmed. I think they did a really good job, which is why I was sad it was in this episode. Because I feel like it could have been in a way better episode. (laughs) But we go through this kind of vision, scrying, training. Glory is not doing so hot in it. Glory is uh, Tally's old friend. And even Abigail and Rael are having some issues trying to see things. Tally, on the other hand, has taken to it like a fish in water. She just calls out all the colors. She knows them all. And this is kind of where I it switched for me and me really liking this scene. So Tally does a great job. And I like the idea that it does imply that Tally just has a knack for like kind of scrying and vision work, which makes a lot of sense for her character. Specifically as we see that she excels a lot in the kind of magical and craft work that is non-offensive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So her being great at this makes so much sense, and I was like, yes, we've just found what Tally has a knack for in the same way that Rayel has a knack for healing. But then we decide to switch it, and uh, Libba says that the reason Tally's doing so great is because she's all hopped up on all the guy energy. Which, sure, okay. I guess.
1: And then, yeah, yeah, Sergeant Quartermain says, well, yeah, (laughs) because Beltane, because for some reason, I mean, there's a bunch of ways we could technically reason it out as it only works around Beltane, but it just, it makes me want to just facepalm because it's so... I can't even like put it into words how much I'm just like this is not how things work and it's a dumb way to connect it.
0: It it's really bugged me and I've really been sitting these last few weeks because we haven't really recorded trying to figure out why the sex magic in the show bugs me so much. Because this isn't the first show to do it and it for sure will not be
1: the last. Yeah.
0: But I think the reason why in this show it drives me so insane is because they have the potential, and they sometimes do really well carry out these ideas of just, I don't know, female empowerment and you know feminism. That's really interesting to see in addition to some very good LGBTQ plus representation. But I think when we try to dip into this sex magic nonsense, it's just so strange Because we had this great moment where it was like, well, Tally's just starting to find like her, her interest, her niche in this magical world. But then we have to immediately revert it to be like, no, it's just because there's hot guys around. That's how you get powerful. Right. And it just drives me crazy because I'm like, this could have been such a good moment of character growth for just Tally as a person. And we also, because we know Rail is in a sexual relationship, the fact that we never imply that she gets these boosts also really bugs me. Oh, yeah. So they so they finish their vision scrying training. And like I said, Tally excels. Go tally. I again like Tally in this episode. Shockingly enough, I actually really like Abigail in this episode. But we'll get to that. So let's flip to something else in this episode that actually matters. So
1: the Spree are back. Dun dun dun. <laughs> this one honestly was like, I mean, all the other spree attacks were terrible, but this one was chilling. Not to be punny when I reveal. Uh so we cut to just some Dayton Ohio pool, and you know we're watching some old people jazzercise, and on the other side there's just some kids playing, and there's a cute lifeguard just watching, and then this cute male lifeguard utters the spell, and the pool, a pool floaty pops, and then the pool starts freezing over, and literally all these people freeze and drown and whatever underneath and it's just like it's quick but it's i'm afraid of water to be honest so that's also probably one reason why it was additionally traumatizing it's crazy i am also yeah
0: i'm also only a water kid where it's like i like the water as long as i can like see or touch the bottom of the water or i know land is nearby but i'm also not a water kid neither of us on here are which made high school fireside sign.
1: i'm especially not yeah.
0: <laughs> the air and fireside are not water kids shocking but yes this this attack was more terrifying than all the others i think that we've seen and we've only seen one other but also what i noted which was so terrifying is there are a few people who actually make it out of the pool but then freeze like on the side of the pool near the wall because the water's still on them. Yes. And that was just chilling as well. I was like, oh God, they thought they were safe. Right. Yeah, and we watched some girl just drown under the ice. We just see some people freeze. (laughs) I laughed a little when you said it was a cute lifeguard because at first, I thought it was Porter again. (laughs) It looked just like... It was another relatively blonde 20-something-year-old
1: guy. He didn't look so constipated. That's probably why I thought he was cute. Uh, There you go.
0: (laughs) So this attack, though, jokes aside, was definitely the most terrifying. And it was, again, weird that was in this episode... Because it seems like a really big deal of an attack
1: that we will just completely barely glance at right, and then I mean, we see that it uh, later a little later we see that it like it physically affects some of the witches on at the fort. they're visibly shaken, but it's really good that. Yeah.
0: It's like one scene where they're all upset, and then the next scene, it, we just, we, we don't care anymore.
1: No, because then we get back to Beltane, and...
0: <laughs> this episode felt like it should have been two or three separate episodes, but they just didn't have time for that, so they decided like they to make it content. one episode. You know, all we needed. I I agree. This this was a good scene, though, and also, despite the horrors of it, like I said, it was scary, but that, that says it's a good scene. It was really well done, just computer graphics was. I was impressed with the ice effects. Yes, actually, I agree with you there. Yeah. yeah.
1: This
0: This episode had some good moments. It was just unfortunate that they were in this episode. <laughs> so the spree attack and everyone at the base is upset for, like, a hot second and then they don't care anymore because th- that's the nature of this episode and following all this general alder goes to an international witch meeting at somewhere i didn't write down the hague the
1: hague thank you witch which also- of course is where the international witch meeting would happen because that's where the international meetings always happen <laughs> real life i was kind of proud of them for doing that
0: uh this international meeting though only had i think about eight representatives at it i i didn't count them all because not they keep zooming around the table very quick so you can't really get everyone in i noted that russia was there japan was there india was there and i i didn't get the other ones if we're being honest
1: I'm not entirely sure either, honestly.
0: And unlike other episodes, I did not want to rewind because that meant I would have to (laughs) watch this episode for longer. But General Alder is at this international meeting, and India, man, India came to play. That was the big part of this meeting. We have General Alder at the head of one side of the table, and then the woman representing India. I don't know her name. I didn't write it down. I'm sorry about that she's at the other head of the table and she is just digging into Alder during this entire meeting and I loved it because we have kind of noted in the last episode that Alder loves to make power moves that make it seem like she's super super important so getting her seen kind of more on an even playing field was kind of nice to see.
1: It was- I feel like they probably could have cut out this episode entirely. Like, there's only a couple spots where we needed that information, and they could have just squished it, split it, squished it between episode two and then episode four. That could have been.
0: So the meeting is more or less not only about the spree. I think the spree barely come up in the meeting, actually. As I said, a lot of things happened in this episode. This episode is just all over the place. So we see a spree attack, but this meeting isn't about the spree. Because that would make far too much cognitive sense.
1: I mean, they bring it up a little bit. There's a cell that they want to send a bunch of armies to. But then they decide not to because they got other stuff to worry about. And then we're moving on.
0: And, and that's the end of the spree at this very high international meeting. Something that comes up, again, this was a scene of the episode I really liked, and I'm sad it was in this episode, is that Russia has gotten their hands on a new magical seed note that they said comes from the desert near the China border, if not in Chinese China. I'm, I'm uncertain about the geography of that. We had no map. It's the desert of China slash Russian area. Yes, yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. And everyone's kind of freaked out and very intrigued because no one knows this note or this music. And that's super big deal, especially when it comes to General Alder, who is just a know-it-all tight ass. So, hard ass, tight ass. <laughs> one of those is the good one. One of those is the bad one. <laughs> she can be both, but you know.
1: I don't even know.
0: What oh, tight ass.
1: Yeah, just to tie out.
0: What comes out of this meeting, though, which was the part I really liked, is Alder makes this kind of sweeping declaration that no one's going to pursue this because it will just make things with China more difficult and we don't need to antagonize China like that. So we're not going to worry about war and it'll be fine if we just ignore it. And then the representative of India just shoots back you can tell us all to do that but that just means you're gonna go do it on your own because your rules don't apply to yourself and I was like damn
1: boom
0: yes it it was so nice to see her called out
1: yes it seems very general order so I I did like that too
0: it was awesome it was again such a cool scene I was like yes this is why I watched this show unfortunately I have to watch this episode But such a good scene. And I think it also is just super pertinent to political times right now because not to get too heavy and serious on this podcast, obviously there's a lot of shit going on in China. And I'm uncertain which population of China this might be trying to represent. I know there's kind of the Muslim population that is in the more Chinese desert areas that it might be talking about, but also this could be just a representation for Tibet, which is also nearer to the Russian border. So I'm just going to leave that there. Obviously, this is kind of pertinent to political and social dynamic in the real world, but it was kind of fun to see in this world and also get to see Alder taking down a peg for it. There's also, as per most American shows, we don't trust Russia. He's at the table, but we don't trust him. The Russian representative, again, a male. We had actually a lot of guy witches at this table, which makes me think that the whole female witch thing is just kind of an American thing. I think so. Yeah. But the Russian uh, male witch is saying how they were able to sneak this note in and they can't risk China knowing about it because China will get offensive and will try to kill everyone. And again, representative of India coming in clutch is like, so good of you to say all these things when China's not at the table to defend themselves. Just shuts Russia right down. I was like, boom. I just want to watch this woman.
1: <laughs> right, just set her free. <laughs> watch the show.
0: That is a spin-off I would watch. <laughs> That's the gist of the meeting, though. Again, this meeting seems super important, which is why I've gone into it for a very long time. It's kind it's of so our first it's so brief. It's our, like, first look at the witch international community, and there's obviously large-scale things happening, but you're right. It barely happens. All this goes on in, like, two minutes.
1: Two notable things, though, from this meeting. One, I was very impressed with, like, the Fabergé egg or whatever it was that they used to play the unheard notes. That was really cool. And then, uh, two, the way that this international meeting wraps up is not any real you know, agreeance or anything like that. One of General Alder's biddies, I thought straight up died. Turns out she just goes into like I don't know cardiac failure, but it just like coma. Yeah, it looked like but she comes like back a up in the episode later on, but
0: yeah, I don't know what happened to her. It it was very, it was very TV health crisis where it was like I grabbed my chest, but I'm not having a cardiac arrest.
1: Yes, and then um, and of course it's the same one that had the issues at the very beginning of the episode, and we visibly see General Alder get grayer and wrinklier and so oh duh no wonder why she's always surrounded by these seven old ladies she's sucking the life force out of them to keep herself young that makes so much more sense i don't know why i didn't think of that in the first episode when it's obvious that she's 300 some odd years old but i
0: i think it It definitely made more sense in this episode. I think first episode there was no way for us to really know. These were just some weird crones that were hanging out. but this episode what started actually tipping me off is when we went to this international meeting Alder's the only one with this like pack of crones. Like everyone else is alone where I was like all right what's up with this bitch? Like That's where I started getting just suspicious, because I was like, why does she need all these
1: people around her if no one else does? I honestly put it down to just one of her power moves. Like, she's gonna show people who's boss by having her posse there, but... And then, of course, by the end of the Hague meeting, oh, this makes way more sense.
0: Makes way more sense. Super darker than I... Well, I expected it in this episode after the spree attack, but I didn't expect it really at this meeting. I thought this meeting would be more of like the dry plot slash arc of the episode. Spoilers, it's not. This, this episode has no arc. <laughs> this episode's a mess. There's important information we need Same. to know.
1: But that's it. <laughs> no. no, it's just totally leading. Let's just build up for the next episode.
0: And those episodes uh, can be nice, but this one was not. Because I felt like it sprinkled way too much pertinent, like, serious information in. But then just dropped it all for the remainder of the episode. Because we're just about done with General Alder for the rest of the episode now. It's like, that revelation happens. And then we're we're not going to see General Alder until the last, like, five minutes of the episode.
1: Right? One, uh- the way that they switch, because we have this very serious, very crazy um, meeting at the Hague, and then we flash back to Beltane and the witches, and are the young ones. And this part is such like a 180, (laughs) because so we we do flash back to the poor Salem. We have the new recruits all on some bleachers outdoors in front of a little field, and it's just beautiful forest and we get a new character barriessa Tanzi lieutenant sergeant junior matrimonialist who starts telling the girls about beltane and encourage them all to mingle and participate while the guys are here and very obviously but sort of trying to be subtle about it telling them to get their freak on <laughs> because that's where their magic Gets a huge power boost. And this right here, I legitimately paused the episode and had to go get a drink. I did it. Because I was like, this is, I was having flashbacks to our first episode where I dissed the stupid sex magic. And here they are, like, super bringing it up again. But then nothing really happens. drove me nuts. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. While I'm on, we'll flash for a little bit more, too. Um, it's on my roll before I get two. I'm almost too, uh, done with my drink for this episode. Like We
0: might have to take a break so I can refresh because we are barely halfway through this episode. Editing will be fun. Yeah,
1: right. So... Oh, gosh. So the the guys come out to do, like, a lacrosse, and then Abigail's like, oh, you want me to participate? And then she goes and kicks some guys out and starts, and so her whole team starts playing lacrosse. Some of the girls start humming and making their music, so it starts raining, so everybody gets all slick and wet t-shirt contest. But also, it's like they're
0: on a lacrosse field, so everyone just gets really muddy. It's not, like, sexy. It's just... Muddy out
1: now, right? And uh, Abigail, you know, they're having a, they end up having a picnic. Abigail is watching one dude with her nemesis, Little Smythe, and you know, one guy comes to hit on Abigail. Abigail tells him to go get his friend away from Little. Libba, whatever her name is.
0: We can't get her name right in this show. Like, I was just listening to our last episode. I was like, oh, that name is
1: screwed. It doesn't necessarily help that it doesn't come up all that often. But anywho. And then Abigail totally just slowly starts building up a freaky threesome, because, oh, hmm, sorry. The alcohol's really coarsen for this episode. <laughs> um, First, I almost forgot. She totally hits on which father, which I understand. Right. But I was just like, okay, he's still looks like he's three times your age in a good silver fox sort of way, but and then he's like, "Oh, you're just like your mother." And I was just like, "Oh, so how old really are you? What in the hell?" That and was she takes awesome. that as a compliment.
0: That was also my weird moment where I was like, "Oh, so you've you've slept with her mother." That's fun. I, this is actually the part of the episode where I liked Abigail. This was just shockingly the first time I've liked Abigail. I think because this episode was such a mess that when we kind of just let Abigail just be kind of this fun whatever character for a little bit and like have some humor and like a little bit of banter and sarcasm that wasn't antagonistic. It was really fun to see. Like, it was kind of fun to see her try to, like, hit on the witch father and him just, like, be like, seriously, kid? Like, and the guys that she ends up having this threesome with, which she kind of does, like, they also seem really into it. Like, this, this isn't something where it's weird that she's making an awkward situation. It's just kind of Abigail having a nice time, which is something we don't see a lot of. This was also, I was watching this episode, and uh, this is the only thing I could really say about these other two random guys. One of them, the blonde that she originally starts talking to, he's in The Order, which is the Netflix show about werewolves. Oh, yeah, that's Hamish from The Order.
1: I didn't even recognize it. I'm totally on season two of The Order right now. That's that's Hamish from The Order, and I
0: freaking love Hamish in The Order. He's, like, the reason I watch The Order. So it immediately just made me like this part more, because I was like, ah, Hamish, like, <laughs> you crazy boy, what are you doing over here? You have werewolf stuff to do. Like, <laughs> It's funny. It was fun to see, and he's a very talented actor. I think he's one of the most talented actors on the order, and I think he was very talented in this show as well, so he was barely in it, but you know he he did good 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 job to not Hamish Hamish <laughs> yes, so I feel like we've been going off about this episode forever, and like we said, nothing has happened, but everything has happened. So I feel like we're gonna take a quick breath right now and do a quick recap to show how ridiculous this episode is. We have started with the crones. There are now all these boy witches at the school. We have discovered Telly is great at scrying slash vision slash knowing work. The spree killed a bunch of people at a pool. That seems like it should be a big deal. It's not. General Alder's at international meeting where everyone seems to be turning on her minus Russia seems like it should be a big deal. It's not. One of General Alder's crones dies and General Ardor, Ardor, Alder starts aging. Seems like we should get more of a reaction. We won't. Now we're back to the school
1: for sexy times. Oh, but wait. I almost forgot about it. Uh, in the middle of sexy time, which was so odd, but <laughs> 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 So uh, Drill Sergeant Quartermain and this new Berryessa Tansy are walking like through the garden forest, whatever, and Berryessa goes to pick an apple and it shrivels up and rots in her hand. Well, and then lo and behold, like all the fruit starts doing the same all around them. The plants just kind of start dying off and then Berryessa Tansy basically crosses herself and they just know something's wrong with General Alder which was sort of crazy to me to think that, so General Aller has, I can't wrap my mind around it, how how much influence she has on Fort Salem, because if she dies, literally the whole fort dies because she's in the ground. I was really confused at what they're trying to imply with that, besides the fact that she's obviously super powerful. But I feel like they already did that. So what's the point of this? Right in the middle of like we have encouraging sex and then we go back to sex on either side of this. So what? Oh, God, this episode's so weird. Um,
0: I feel like what almost happened here was we almost had a good close to real life witch moment. Because apples are very common in witch practice as, like, a holy fruit or something to be used in spellcraft or altar work. And for that reason, I think this could have been a good representation of, like, the magic of the grounds. And when Alder's not around, you know, like, the magic starts to fade out. So her, like, having a substantial energy hit outside of the grounds would just, like, affect the grounds really quickly and make things have weird these weird moments but because we've never seen apples portrayed in any way and we don't know what alder does and we don't know what any of these people really do right now it was just very strange also this comes up i noted this scene as well not for any of those reasons but just because we grew up near apple hill and this is beltane so that means it's may And apples are ripe
1: in the fall. Yes. There's no reason for that tree to have apples right now. No, they just have, like, they're beautiful flowers by that time. Yeah, again, nothing to do with the actual,
0: like, this won't affect anything. This doesn't mean that they will go and find alder or... When they see Alder again, they'll say how they knew because of the tree. Like, this tree means absolutely nothing minus this scene. It's just a weird scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just, ugh, this episode. So that's our quick recap. Uh, that's our breath and our rundown of what's happening, followed by this weird apple tree. Because now we have to power through through the rest of this episode, and we are close to getting there. So all the witches are encouraged to mingle Abigail goes off and just kind of has a threesome with these guys, which again, this is the one time I kind of liked Abigail, where I was like, all right, Abigail, you deserve some fun. They seem into it. I'm glad, I'm glad everyone's happy. Like, consent seems to be here. Yeah, yeah. So this is fine. The weird thing that then happens is so Tally starts hanging out with Buttonwood, who's that I moment dude from the beginning of the episode. But for some reason, rails, there too. It's just this weird, it's this weird thing where it seems like everyone's encouraged to go off and have sex, but then Buttonwood, Tally, and Raelle end up in this, like,
1: museum. The Monument Hall, Memorial Hall, or something like that is what they call it. Why they're there, why they were like, hey, let's go check this out right now. It just, it made no
0: sense for, like, what we thought the vibe of the episode was. I was like, okay, so now, like, we saw Abigail go off and, like, have some sexy times, That's probably means like, that's what everyone's doing, but no, it's like, they just went off to this place of learning and they go there. And Tally has this moment where I, I start disliking Tally in these moments where she starts talking about the biddies or the the crones as we call them and how it's like the highest honor. Like it's such an honor to be called up for that work. Like only I could have that kind of honor and work. And I just kept thinking back to the opening scene of their prison-like barracks. And was like, Tally, no. But for some reason Buttonwood is into it. He's like, oh yeah, I I completely understand. (laughs) I'm like, you two just need to... You guys gotta chill. Because I don't even know if if you guys are supposed to be here right now. It seems like you guys should be off having sex. But whatever. So following this... This is when things just start happening. This was the part of the episode where I legitimately sat up from watching it, paused it, put my head in my hands, and said, (laughs) I don't think this episode knows what it's doing anymore. No one was in the room. I just felt like it had to be set out there to the world because that's when this started happening. So random events just start occurring that are just kind of bouncing around Fort Salem as things start happening. We've seen apples fall off trees. We're on this weird rails, third wheeling. Abigail's off having her threesome. But we're gonna get some weird pertinent information in the middle of this, because that is the jive of this episode, which is where Tally shows Buttonwood how you can access your kind of family tree in this museum.
1: Yes, I thought this was super cool
0: this reminded me of you
1: this is totally straight out my alley i love i don't really know a whole lot about my family tree but i love genealogy it is so awesome and the fact that like tally just takes her medallion off and puts it on this marble pedestal and then this special enchanted magical american flag in front of them just shows her whole family tree i thought it was really cool didn't stop to count, but there's a ton of people for Tally's line. And of course, I and mean, she's had a relatively
0: that, big family from what I saw.
1: Yes. Yeah. And of course it shows that she is the very last of her line. There are, she's the only one of her generation. There's literally no one else in the generation before her that's left besides her mother. And so that was kind of cool to see. And she she knows that her super great-grandmother, um, Mae Craven, who happens to also be her mother's name, was one of the witches that fought on the how however you say that river's name, in like the early revolution times and all those crazy things. And then it just, does make it a little bit more sad, but there's so many different people in each generation, and then it's just tally it does
0: this is another scene that i I liked, and it could have been really heavy hitting and a good character development time for Tally, especially because we started this episode off with her with how she can kind of see what's coming so this this could have been such a good tally arc episode of. It's starting that she has a knack of being able to see what's coming, but she couldn't see the end of her line, which is, like, it could have been so good. There could have been this great metaphor in there and some good realizations in Tally, but this episode had so much in it and nothing at all that it just got lost in this mess of scenes. Yep. I, I was upset with this because, as we've acknowledged, I like Tally. Yep.
1: I did also, real quickly on the family trees, uh, Tally and Buttonwood leave. Raelle stays, puts her medallion on there. And Raelle has five generations. It's a straight line. There's not any branching, really. And then, yeah, she is also the last one of her generation, but doesn't seem so worried about it also
0: looked like they're a relatively new witch family, just from how few generations they
1: had. A little bit, but it also seemed like maybe they actually managed to live a little longer for, like, reproduction, just because. So I think, I was trying to debate, because I noticed that Tally's her start's kind of near the top of the flag, which makes sense, given that her family was on, like, the original missions with Alder and stuff like that. But Raelle's family starts, I don't know, three fourths of the way up the flag. So it's still like fairly high up on the flag. And I was trying to figure it out if they meant that specifically, because Raelle had also said in episode one that like her family had been in the Chippewa session before it was the Chippewa session. So they've been there a while. But does that mean, was that her mother's line? And they just, were slow reproducing and didn't weren't necessarily fruitful or was it mostly like her father's line that you were talking about? I was very curious and I got zero answers.
0: So we break from these family trees and Libba is in another part of this museum like giving a PowerPoint presentation to a group of these like to a group of Fort Salem. And I was (laughs) So confused once more, where I was like, are you guys supposed to all be off, like, having fun? Why did Libba at some point be like, "I'm I'm gonna give a PowerPoint presentation. You guys should all come. And everyone said yes. Yeah. So we have this really stupid scene where it's, like, Libba just talking about her family history and then Abigail shows up as super antagonistic. And this is where I'm like, Abigail you you were cool for a good few minutes there I'm glad that time is (laughs) apparently over and then Abigail shows up and decides to give her own PowerPoint presentation about the situation and everyone still just stays that was the weirdest thing is they have an audience that just seems so enthralled by it and I was like no no one in their right mind is like oh, we get some days off. We have to hang out. There's new people. And they're like, let's go watch this person's PowerPoint about the history of their family.
1: I agree. Although I put it down to, because like, they called it, I believe, the Memorial Hall or whatever. So I think they're all there because they start out talking about the biddies and shortly we see the biddy that i thought died is actually not dead she's dying and so i think they're there sorta in prep for that like memorialization but it's not really clear so it's,
0: it's super sorta it's super weird that they're all there it almost seems like this episode had another idea of why they should all be in this random building we've never seen before and it, it seemed like it was almost like a class. Like, this seemed like this was originally filmed or written to be, like, a class trip that they all had to go on to see this memorial hall. And maybe then, like, Libba had to give a presentation or what have you. But then they just decided not to do that in the episode, but they still needed everyone to be there. So, they're like, oh, no, they all just chose to come here and give family presentations which is so jarring yeah so yeah lib and abigail hate each other again they have conflicting powerpoints everyone seems super enthralled because i guess their lives are weirdly very very boring and as that's all going on and we're having battling powerpoints as you do as an exciting 18 year old Scylla goes back to her room and is confronted by Mr. Bad Actor. Porter. I like my name better.
1: Yes. So, since you can't keep it straight, I will go over this. (laughs) Uh, So, they go into, you know, so I guess uh, Porter and Scylla were dating when they were all on the run for their draft dodging, and they got history, and Scylla... It's just, he can't believe that she, she's doing this because she was such a, you know, system hater and blah, blah, blah. And then he totally calls her out for being spree. Spree. Wow. You've had some drinks too, I see. I have. This mimosas hitting hard.
0: This is one of the scenes where I was most like, wow, this guy can't act. And it was because it could have been a really good scene. And I think the actress who plays Scylla is very strong. But unfortunately, because I just, I don't think he was on her level. It just, it came off so (sighs) fake almost. Just, and not even for Scylla like acting fake. Because that's what she's trying to imply. It's that low-key fakeness that we can all see. But his was just so wooden in acting that, like, the emotional parts just came off so weird. It, right. it just, it was a strange, it was an awkward scene to watch.
1: It was. Well, and then uh, to make it more awkward, we have this, she obviously whispers the spell in his ear. And then this next scene that we cut to, I felt like it was totally, like, we needed that wrap up from the next part. But at the same time, what the
0: yeah, this this is what I mean by everything happens in this episode. And you need to watch this episode to get certain world and plot devices. But it's just the worst episode how they strung it together. It seems like they had like six scripts that they were like, we have one episode, guys. And they just took bits and pieces of all of them. And then we got this episode. So after she casts a spell on this dude... We cut to General Alder, and yeah, the crone is dying, but she's still alive. because She has undiagnosed TV medical disease. <laughs> and then, I, I know she's your favorite, but I can't remember her name right now. Who's the drill sergeant's name?
1: Anacostia Quartermain.
0: Anacostia, thank you. Anacostia goes to this recruits it's uncertain if she's first year second year what have you but she's in her room and she says it's time you don't need anything just yourself and this recruit is just all I've I've wanted this my whole life I can't believe I get to do this and then we move on to this hospital room with this dying crone and she the crone dies the crone just straight out dies and says it's been a privilege or an honor or something. Very titanic. And as she dies she stops being an old crone and reverts to a woman who's probably in like her late 20s.
1: Um, which coincidentally is the same exact same as the picture we saw at the very beginning. So the picture was her. Yeah. And so this happens
0: And then the little recruit, who at this point she looks like she's like
1: eighteen, maybe seventeen. She she looks like a baby. Well, she has to be at least eighteen because she's at Fort Salem. That's true. But I assume because she doesn't seem like she's a newcomer, so I assume she's probably like nineteen, maybe twenty. She just she looks so young, so young. Uh, she.
0: She, like, stands behind Alder, and I believe puts her hand on her shoulder, and then we watch as she is transformed into a crone, and Alder, once again, looks like a woman in her, like, early 30s. Yep,
1: without any noticeable spell work or anything like that.
0: This really hit it home that Fort Salem is just kind of the cult of Alder. I was very freaked out by this. I get that this was this was supposed to be something that affected you, but I don't think they meant for it to be like, oh my God, this is a cult, but it's totally a cult.
1: Yes. Oh, well, and I guess they kind of foreshadowed that too. I totally forgot while they were at the museum thing talking about, oh, it's such an honor to be one of the biddies. Oh, we talked about that. No, hold on. We didn't talk about the specific part on how they They show the biddies, oh, right. In the boats with her, crossing like the Delaware and the Panamax, and she they ride into battle with her. They are with her basically almost twenty four seven. That's part of the honor. Part of the also cult weirdness. Well, it
0: also seems like the Crones can't talk when they're around Alder. We've never seen them vocalize anything when Alder's around. We've only seen them speak to one another when they're by themselves. In deference to Alder and all that, I'm sure, but it really made me hate Alder and I'm I'm sure I mean all these people are conditioned to be like this is such an honor. This is such a privilege. I was watching this and was like hell no. (laughs) Like this whole show I'm like sure maybe you could get me a conscript. I see what's going on here. I can see, like, what the whole, like, patriotism movement. I can see how that's appealing and gets in you. Like, what have you. This was the time where I was like, hells no. Like, this is, I I would turn my back on this completely. It also low-key
1: implies that these
0: crones do not last long. Right, i
1: was curious about that. Because obviously, like, when the Biddy Who Died dies, she goes back to her original look but i i just i'm very curious when that was from what
0: i know of draining magic and i don't know much i've i've read about it a little because i've read like um wards and shielding against it and it is something that's kind of kind of something you shouldn't
1: be doing. Don't do it. This isn't endorsing it. Yeah, no, this is totally, like, generally considered in there with necromancy as one of those no-no arts. Just don't do not do it.
0: But from what I could see from here, and what I kind of know about this magic, is what I would assume is, so she's draining just the energy from these people, more or less. She needs the energy to stay young, to stay active, to, like, stay in this position of power. Which makes me think that, so that's why they turn into crones is because their body can't feed her while also staying a relatively healthy looking young age. Mm -hmm. But because when we see when that connection, when that spell breaks with this crone that dies, she just reverts back to someone in her like mid-20s, maybe late 20s. It makes me think that maybe this only lasts for like a decade, and when the connection's broken, the body will revert back to its natural form because it no longer has to sustain that spell and if its natural form means it's only aged ten years, that means these crones are only lasting like ten years each.
1: right. It would be cool to to know some more answers. We'll see if it comes up again.
0: I would but. like to see more about it. It's terrifying. I did not like it. This really was kind of the nail in the coffin for Alder for me. I, as I we kind of talked about a little bit last episode I'm not greatly into Alder and we're not supposed to be. I I get that. It's They're doing well writing and narrating that. Where she is supposed to kind of come off as pompous and against a lot of the moral standards we consider. But this was definitely where I was like I don't you're redeemable after this i don't think i could even get a good redemption arc out of you because we just insinuated that you have been killing like other witches who are devoted to you and like your cause for centuries because let's say like each crone only lasts 10 years she's had this happen for 300 years that is so many people right I just I I couldn't I couldn't see it. I
1: couldn't I couldn't support And she times. has to maintain seven at all times. That's as I assume, still that holy number, but
0: Yeah. Which I'm I'm glad they're we talked about before. I'm glad they're doing like numerology and there is some seriousness in it. And I think this was a good again depiction of some drainage and the empiric magic. And it did have the effect. Like I was upset and I was like, holy crap. Again, I was sad it was in this episode, but it was good. It just also made it for me that Alder is an unredeemable character. Like I just now want to see Alder die.
1: Well, and I think that's also part of the because they're they're doing multiple tropes sort of in, you know, in the background of obviously the spree are the worst, we should not support the spree, but at the same time, they're building up reasons why the spree argument makes sense. So they're they're definitely playing those politics, and that kind of has been interesting to see develop. I agree. Scary, but interesting.
0: I agree. It's stuff def- it's definitely the darkness on both sides.
1: Well, and then to follow up with more darkness. And again, another just scene flash.
0: Yeah, and again, Maybe? we're gonna trigger warning this for suicide one more time, because we did it first episode, we're gonna do it again. Yes. Take it away.
1: Uh, the way that we finish out this episode is Porter jumps off a building to his death, to his slow death. He does not immediately die, because Raelle happens to be 20 feet away when he jumps, just walking on by, and she runs over to him and tries her best to do her traditional healing so he will live. There's nobody around. She's screaming for help. She's panicking, which I think is kind of one of the reasons why her magic doesn't actually work as effectively as it traditionally does, because we up till now, we've painted her as a very good healer, despite the fact that she's technically using. Old magic, but she's totally losing her composure. She can't seem to keep that solid focus, and I mean, I, it's kind of that we're playing between how good of a healing artist is she versus how how can you really save someone from death like that. So she loses that battle. She loses that battle to the point where she actually ends up passing out because she tried so hard. But by this point, thankfully, people have come by. They're starting to help. But of course, right before she passes out, she sees Scylla poking her head around the corner, just sort of looking, but definitely not coming over like any reasonable person might to investigate. And then Finn. End scene. End episode. Just Scylla looking like the mass murderer she is. Right. What uh, it, a way to end. Again,
0: this this was this was another upsetting thing where this could have been a good episode, I think, if we'd focused more on Porter. And maybe known more about why he was such a danger to Scylla and maybe gotten to, like, have more of an emotional connection with him. Because this was still a horrible way to end the episode and it was rough. But because we saw Porter for, like, three scenes, if that, I feel like it just it, – we could have gotten a better impact out of it. We could have gotten to be more emotional for Porter, for Raelle in this situation – But there was just too much random crap happening this episode for us to form that bond and get that good narrative.
1: Mm -hmm. I also feel like, um, because they just, it just felt so choppy with the way they kept flashing back and forth between General Alder and like things that we would necessarily actually care about with the new recruits. But I felt like they could have made it a little bit more blocky overall. And it probably would have flowed a lot better just because then we would have had more. Consistency with a small arc, and then we can flash to our new one instead of this one, this one, that one, this one again, that one again, this one from the original. And I just felt like because they jumped around a lot, that's one reason why we got some good details. But in the end, it was a trash episode.
0: Such a trash episode. And it was one of those episodes as well where once it ended, I was like, oh my God, like this. Like, so much happened in that last, like, five minutes that was just high energy. But I also, once I was um, brushing my teeth and was like, thank God I can go to bed, Um, I realized we also, I felt like we didn't see our main characters, like, at all. Like, Raelle was just kind of there. I feel like she had no lines. We saw Abigail, like, have this, like, weird little, like, threesome thing, but then, like, she disappeared again And even, like, Tally's, like, weird, like, on-screen, off-screen with this guy, I was, like, I feel like for this episode, we just threw so many characters in it that our main three got completely lost in the shuffle. And seeing how they're kind of our narrative voices, we get to see experiences through their eyes and their moral point of views, it was just really weird to have an episode where there was no point of view. It was so weird. And i that's why I was like, I was really sad we didn't get more time with Porter and maybe more time with Rael and Porter to have this be more emotional and see it more through Rayel than mm-hmm. we did. Because we were off doing 10,000 other things that you know, 9,000 of which were useless.
1: Well... So that was was the episode. Full things. (laughs) Um, If you don't mind, because I want to end on a happy note. Can we, let's do a little deep diving into scrying and vision work. And this is totally your jam. I do a little bit of like meditative vision work, but you are the one that I turn to for like true scrying. A lot more like how they show it here. Please give me more on this.
0: Yes, uh, I feel like most of our deep dives have been me-centric as of late. So sorry about that. We will try to get more Jade fun times. Sure, in. Yeah,
1: next week is probably gonna be me. Your week next week's <laughs> because, your uh, week. We should dive into Beltane because the next episode is called Hail Beltane. And while I may not do the same sort of, you know, spells that you do for Beltane, I'm actually Irish, so. That's that's true. I I am <laughs> I feel it deep down in my bones. I am European
0: unknown. Scrying, clairvoyance, and divination work. So that's just what I'm going to kind of group it all into calling right now. So I do my best work in this through tarot cards. As I said in my first episode, I've been reading tarot cards for like, God, like 15 years at this point. I like to think I have a good knack for them. I feel very comfortable with them and they are my main medium for this kind of thing. I do work a little bit in mirror craft and crystal ball work as well. I really enjoy that. I'm not as good about it because you have to let your mind relax a little bit more and I'm very high strung so (laughs) it doesn't always work well but A little bit of history in scrying and clairvoyance work because it's actually really interesting. So scrying has actually been around for like thousands of years and can be seen recorded through a bunch of different cultures, both ancient and uh, prehistoric and historic and modern. So ancient Egypt used scrying in their original like religions and such that they've been able to see through historians and stuff. Stuff historians have been able to research. Wow, it's just, this is the day. So the Egyptians used water scrying, dream scrying, oil scrying, and mirror scrying. And one of the legends states that the goddess Hathor carried a shield that could reflect back all things with true sight or true light, depending on how you define it and have the language work. And this was also seen as possibly and allegedly like the first mirror ever recorded in history. So that's just really interesting on that. And then ancient Persia also had semi-historical scrying noted in addition to the ancient Greeks, obviously the Celts, because a lot of these kind of practices are oftentimes Celtic. Greeks, the Celts used uh, crystals, black glass, polished quartz, water once again, and then other just slightly semi-transparent mediums they could find water is usually seen throughout history as being the most common because that's something that every civilization had and if we go back to mysticism shamanism and magic work throughout history you're obviously going to share the one thing all life needs to exist on this planet which is water And once we kind of moved into more modern times, by modern times, I mean Victorian times, that's when we started to see the crystal ball kind of come to prevalence. Victorian times was when clairvoyance, divination, and parlor tricks of it, more or less, came into heavy focus because the Victorian age was weird and crazy in Europe and America, and really, what it kind of led to were these really elite elites with a lot of money and who were really, really bored. So, something that kind of came to Providence is you would have fancy parties and bring in like a mysticist who would talk to the spirits and look in her crystal ball and tell the future. And it was parlor tricks, it was total con jobs at the time. But it was also a time when women could big money doing con jobs. So I kind of appreciate the time for that. That's when we really started to see crystal balls. and That's also when crystal balls also kind of came to the infamacy of being debunked, I guess. Like, I, I have a crystal ball. I like my crystal ball. But I feel like nowadays when you see, like, fortune tellers and stuff in media and shows, it's always the really fake crystal ball that they, like, blow smoke into or what have you. So that's a little bit of the history lesson on that. You can use divination, scrying, clairvoyance to try to glimpse into the future. As I said, I prefer tarot cards because it's a medium that I feel like gives me a bit more focus. There are, as I've stated, tens of thousands of mediums you can use. I don't know which ones will work best for you. I think that's something you kind of got to find as you go. I I love tarot cards. I'm horrible at runestones. I like crystal balls and mirrors. I don't do well with water. As I said, I'm not a water girl in this episode. But what it really takes is meditation, ability to relax, and in certain cases, focus. In addition, it just takes practice. A lot of divination work can also be associated with Some air work because air is often seen as one of the mental elements. So, if you're looking for any spells, crystals, herbs to help you, look for air elements associations because those will usually help you along the way. This can be things like lavender, clear quartzes, anything like that. That I've even stated earlier. Sage is always a good one. Well, you can use sage for like basically anything. So, highly recommend it's like salt in that regard but yellow quickly.
1: oh yeah go on sorry to interject so i was just reading something about white sage and cultural appropriation because traditionally that one does actually come from native americans and they still actually use it predominantly in their shamanism today and their um, cultural revivalism and stuff like that but because and basically White bitches have just totally took that and ran with it in not necessarily a productive way. Um, so there are alternatives to white sage; it's a good one, but there are like Nikki said, you know, lavender is a good one. There's a few other plants as alternatives. But one of those things too, um, if you're gonna buy white sage, do some research and buy it from. A native seller. There's quite a few on Etsy. And I think that's also a good way to You know, not totally Be a dick and take over her This appropriation, etc. So just quick note on that.
0: So that's just a fun little note. Doesn't mean you're a bad person if you didn't know that, by the way. I feel like that's where a lot of people get defensive where they're like, well, I've been doing it for years. Like, that's fine. You didn't know, like just in the future, try to be aware. And I agree, if you can find a, if you wanna use white sage, if you can find a native tribe or a reputable place to buy it from, then that's always a good call. If you don't want to use white sage, lavender is great. My actual go-to, if you're trying to use sage for spirit work, this has nothing to do with divination, but we're just going off. If you want to use white sage for spirit work, my actual substitute is cedar. Cedar is so good for spirit work. Like, Oh my goodness. I am actually really upset that I have white sage right now, but I'm out of cedar and I like to burn them together. So recommend that instead of white sage if you want to use spirits but if you want to use sage for divination you totally can as I said sage can be used for used for everything but please do be aware of the situation and it can be replaced with lavender salt can replace absolutely anything it's the white candle of witchcraft like it just it's there for you Bay laurel is another good one that can be used substitute in a lot of sage situations. And Rosemary. To, Yeah, I was like, I'm it's trying to look common. at my own, like, well, altar right now. I'm like, what else do I have that I usually use to substitute my sage?
1: Oh, I recently actually incorporated um some juniper oh. into mine, which I guess has a, a little bit better of a cleansing that I didn't realize. I use oils, not actual herbs for my my stuff, but...
0: I am an herb girl. Yeah, there's, there's lots of things you can use. If you feel uncomfortable using white sage, obviously don't use white sage. But if you want to really use white sage, just just be aware. It's it's like anything. Just don't be a dick, as you have said. <laughs> so I think, I think we're going to be done with divination with that because we actually got off of a tangent, but I was actually about to wrap that up. So that's our little bit of deep dive into divination and scrying. As I said, in the show, I think they did a really good job in that scene with scrying and divination, specifically with Tally. I'm sad it was in this episode because it could have been such a good part, but I really think they kind of nailed it home how it is. It's difficult. You can see a lot of people are just uncertain what they're supposed to be looking for or how they should be relaxing enough to do this, and I think that is very true to life with any time you're trying to scry or use tarot cards or what have you. So I really liked it, and I think that is the end of our little deep dive slash white sage lesson rant.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> all righty then. So, Mickey, which is on the couch, what are you drinking this week?
0: This week I went with my classic drink, my most drinking drink, the drink that I wish I had more of right now after this horrible episode. Uh, <laughs> my gin and tonic with two limes. It is a classic. It is what I will always order at a bar because if you have a bad bartender, he really can't screw it up. And if you have a really good bartender, they're very cheap. So, gin and tonics. Excellence. I am a clear alcohol girl minus vodka. Vodka is just the worst. But I love a good gin and tonic. I can drink these all day. What about you, Jade? What are you drinking this week?
1: I went with a mimosa, Back because those are 24-hour drinks, I swear, and it was just, it sounded good. It hit the spot. I'm definitely feeling it, though. We noted that halfway this, through Nikki can kind of see it. I definitely have that Irish readiness has come out. That came out nice and early today. You're a little
0: flushed, but... We can't go out for brunch these days so you gotta bring the brunch to you any hour, any day, anytime. I actually this do have some sparkling wine. I'm just out of orange juice. Yes, and we needed all the alcohol to get through this episode.
1: But <laughs> so hopefully- we do not uh, advocate using alcohol to smooth out life and its problems. Just saying. <laughs> we
0: advocated to smooth out a bad episode every so often oh
1: yeah. it's
0: it's so true well, that's that's the main advocacy here well <laughs> despite the episode being horrible hopefully the deep dive was nice and hopefully the commentary
1: was slightly
0: entertaining not and a total that mess.
1: note uh so because obviously we had trigger warnings in this episode they were very good they put the suicide hotline at the end of this episode and as always I'd like to wrap up with that too. There is no shame in asking for help. Even if it's just a brief moment, that's okay. Please, if you're thinking even just a little bit, reach out to the National Suicide Hotline, 800-273-8255. Stay safe, y'all.
0: Let's hope that this episode was a bit of light in your day, evening, night, morning, whenever you're listening to us these days. Stay safe out there. Try to stay happy. Don't let the bad episodes get you down. And have a good magical day, everyone.